Good morning and welcome to chapel this morning. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors here. Our chapel today is a special chapel as it helps to kick off homecoming celebration festivities this weekend. For those of you new to Goshen College, this weekend you may see a lot of unfamiliar faces lurking around your campus as if they own and know this place. And that's because these wonderful people were once students here, just like you are currently. So please give a warm welcome to all of our returning alums this weekend as you greet them and as they meet people from yesteryear. This morning, we will hear from one special alum who has received one of two Culture for Service awards this year. But both recipients are with us in chapel this morning. The Culture for Service Award program was initiated in 1989 by the Goshen College Alumni Board to recognize alumni whose lives embody the college's motto. The awards affirm those who have served the college, community, church, and world, or whose professional and personal achievements are models of the motto, Culture for Service. It is also a delight to have with us this morning members of the Goshen College Alumni Board who have been meeting the last couple of days. And finally, we also have with us this morning recipients of the Champions of Character Award created in 2005. This award is presented by the Maple Leaf Athletic Club to a female and male alumni athlete who exemplify the college's core values in their lives, work, and community service. And so at this time, I'd like to recognize the four recipients of these awards and have them stand after I say their names. And please hold your applause until after I've announced all four of them. Our two recipients of the Culture for Service Award are Galen Miller from North Orland, Indiana. Galen, if you would stand. And also John Martin from Columbus, Ohio and I will share, share more about John, and please remain standing. <laughs> it's not only students who can't quite always follow directions. <laughs> Our two recipients of the Champion of Character Award are Marty Kelly from Orono, Maine, and Lynn Williams from Lakewood, Colorado. I invite you to extend a warm greeting and welcome and applause. And also this morning, I would like to invite members of the alumni board who are here, as well as members of the Maple Leaf Athletic uh, Club Association who would have received or who would have announced uh, these awards. Would you please stand? Welcome here. As we now turn our focus to God and worship in this chapel space, I'll light this lamp that symbolizes God's act of presence here among us this morning. Let us pause to pray. O oh God, author of eternal light, lead us in our worshiping this day, that our lips may praise you, our lives may bless you, and our meditations glorify you, 
Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Everyone can stand and join with us in singing a few songs.
morning, everybody. I am Sammy Rosario, for those of you who don't know me. I am from Puerto Rico, I'm a first year, and my majors are theater and communications. I am gonna read you Matthew 5, from 13, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but in a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Following our chapel this morning, we have a reception to greet and meet these people in the gathering rooms over here to my left, um, outside of the chapel space, uh, sponsored by Alumni Office. So I invite you all to that following chapel. This morning, it is my pleasure to introduce John Martin, class of 74, one of this year's recipients of the Culture for Service Award. John Martin's two years at Goshen College served as a precursor to a lifetime of service to his family, the state of Ohio, and to people with disabilities. Throughout his career, he has been a tireless advocate of the disabled, serving as a special education teacher, as director of Sunshine Incorporated, an, an Ohio Mennonite agency serving individuals with disabilities. And since 2007, as director of the Ohio Department of Developmental Disabilities, John and his wife, Sue, came to know the issues of people with disabilities in a personal way when their second child was born. Joel Martin was diagnosed at nine months of age with cerebral palsy, a seizure disorder. He lived with his parents until he was an adult. The Martins have two other children, Seth, a second-year student here at Goshen College, and Jessica, a 2004 graduate of Goshen College. With John as executive director, Sunshine Incorporated gained a statewide reputation as a religious-based agency that offered the highest quality services. During Martin's 23 years there, Sunshine grew tremendously, adding 17 group homes and a variety of programs, including a spiritual life program and a fair trade coffee shop staffed by persons with disabilities. John helped to resolve conflicts between the state of Ohio service providers, and county boards and advocated with the Ohio State Legislature on behalf of individuals with developmental disabilities. His reputation as a peacemaker drew the attention of the Ohio governor. And so in 2007, John was appointed to the cabinet level position of director of the Ohio Department of Developmental Disabilities. John and his wife, Sue Martin, live in Columbus, Ohio, and attend Columbus Mennonite Church. John, we welcome you this morning and look forward to your sharing with us. Thank you. Good morning. Um, it, was, it was about 37 years ago uh, that I left Goshen College a dropout with an embarrassing GPA that wouldn't transfer to any other 
colleges. I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I headed out uh, to Colorado to work construction. So what did I learn at Goshen that has uh, helped me through my career? Well, I can, I think, best describe it <clears throat> by telling the story of the tree. And I understand a few of you may have heard my son tell his story, so I apologize for that. I think we had two different points of the story, though. Um, <laughs> about a year and a half ago, we had our house on the market that we were selling our house to move down to uh, Columbus. And in this new day of real estate, you have to disclose on the real estate form if you got any problems with your property. Now, Sue, my wife, thought it was important that we disclose that this large ash tree in the back of our yard had the emerald ash borer in it. I thought, hey, they could look and see the tree is starting to die. We didn't need to disclose it, but we did. We disclosed it. So what happened was when the people put a bid on the house, they said we had to take down that ash tree. And I thought, whew. And so as we went through the negotiation process, we kept trying to take us having to take down the ash tree off of it. And the purchasers kept putting it back on. So the bottom line is, final thing was, we had to take down that ash tree before we, uh, before we left. Well, we got a uh, proposal from some professionals. They wanted 1100 bucks to take down that ash tree. And I said, man, that's, that's a lot of money to take down that, that tree standing there. So anyway, on a Friday night, three weeks before we were to uh, move, I looked up at that tree and I said to Seth, you know, we could take that ash tree down. And Seth said, oh, I don't know, Dad. It's, it looks like it's leaning to the side. And I explained to Seth that trees are balanced. And even though the tree looks like it's leaning to the side, <laughs> the limbs are heavier on the other side. Trees are balanced. So early Saturday morning, I went out, and I rented the biggest chainsaw you could get. And, and we fired that up, and Seth kept being kind of skeptical of it, but I knew what I was doing. We could lay that thing right down in the middle of the yard. I notched it like I'd seen them do on TV. I'd never cut down a tree before. <laughs> and I had called a friend the night before, and he had given me some tips, although later, after the disaster occurred, he said I had no idea the tree was that large. <laughs> so anyway, I notched it. Beautiful notch was going to lay out right there. I was coming in on the back side of it, and I'm down sawing, and Seth comes and hits me on the back and uh, says, the tree is tipping the wrong way. And I stood back, and I want to just tell you, there's nothing like a helpless feeling when a massive tree is starting to tip toward your neighbor's yard. <laughs> and what happened when was this massive ash tree fell right down to the right, the opposite direction that I had notched it, <laughs> smashed the fence, ruined four of his trees that he had planted not that long ago, just crushed them, went all the way across his yard, it's a huge tree, and went into the next neighbor's yard. <laughs> and the tree that we could have done for 1100 bucks uh, ended up costing us $1,500 to get uh, cleaned up, plus I had to do some additional work the neighbor was very upset until it's interesting what insurance fraud will do, and uh, I won't go into that except to say the neighbor didn't tell the insurance company I had offered to clean up his yard, and uh, after we moved, we found that he was able to put in replacement windows and siding for the insurance settlement that he got on the tree. So it ended up working. 
What I learned from Goshen that relates to the tree story <laughs> is, is I, I learned at Goshen self-confidence to try things irrespective of the fact that they may fail. And the two, the two quick examples of that were in my freshman year, uh, I, I didn't spend, I will admit, a lot of time studying. And so I, I tried out for this play, this touring play. And I, I got a part in it, a minor part in it. And I, I played two different characters. And we gave this play, it was like 20 times it was given to PTAs. And then in the second semester, the guy that had the lead role went on SST. And so then I took the lead role, which had two parts, and they got somebody else to take my part. And the second night we put on the play of that semester, he came down, the guy who took my part, came down and, and he got terribly sick. And I had to play all four parts <laughs> because I knew them. And it had to be incredibly confusing to the people watching this play to figure out what the characters were. But, you know, we got through it, and I survived. And uh, I was going to tell a, well, the, the one other thing that I actually, that I learned in, in that way was, I was also in a, a, another play, a bit of a pattern here, and I had a bit part in it. And a week before the play was going to go on, and it, it was a modern version of, 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 of uh, Easter, okay? And a, a week before it was to go on, the lead decided he had a theological problem with this play because it was this modern thing. Well, my freshman year at Goshen, I had theological problems with nothing. And so <laughs> when Umbel asked me if, uh, Dr. Umbel asked me if I would take the part, I said, sure, I had one week to memorize the whole thing, but because I never studied, I, I had time to work on it. <laughs> and again, I, I was able to perform it. It was not a great performance, but we made it through. And, uh, and, and again, that's one of the things I learned here was to just try things. They may fail, they may not. And that has really benefited me my entire career. And, and I've been very lucky to uh, both have a marriage where my wife allows me to try many foolish things, as well as uh, employers who have done that as well. Um, I wanted to talk just a little bit about leadership this morning, and that is because whether you all know it or not, most of you are going to end up being leaders in, in, in some way or, or another. And the context would be when I interviewed uh, for the job that I currently had, and I had two interviews, and then I, I met with the governor. And his uh, question to me was, actually it was the second question. His first question was, John, I see you're a Mennonite. Do you know Myron Augsburger? And then his second question was, um, you know, I've heard from my staff and others that you're a nice man. And he said, but my question of you is, are you tough enough to do this job? And that's a question that a lot of you are going to face someday. Are you nice enough and are you tough enough to do the job? And I found out vividly what he meant my third month there when I decided it was important to do what the federal government told Ohio it was supposed to do with its Medicaid program. And I made over half of the entire field incredibly angry at me and there were attempts to quote unquote take me down and take me out of office 
And when I presented my testimony before the House Finance Committee, the room was so full of people that they stopped before I got started and set up cameras in an overflow room so everybody could hear. And after I presented my testimony, the Senate Finance Committee grilled me for two hours over the decision I'd made. And then I got to sit in the front row while person after person after person came up and told how I was trying to destroy the system. And then after I had been there a year, the economy started to, uh, to crumble. And I got the first call being there 12 months to cut 17.2 million out of my budget. The 20th month I was there, I was told to cut another 16.9 million out of my budget. The 23rd month, another 19 million out of my budget. The 29th month, another 22.6 million out of my budget. 77 million out of a program that provided services to some of the most vulnerable of Ohio's citizens that I had gone to defend and protect and try to increase funding for, not take it away. All of you as leaders will be forced someday in a situation to deal with those kind of situations. Many business people are today and are in this, in, in this community. And when you're doing that, what does the verse mean that was read here this morning? Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. What does that mean in those circumstances? And as Parker Palmer, who some of you will probably read in your studies, as he puts it another way, and I really like the way uh, uh, that he puts it, he talks about leaders having an incredible ability to cast their spirit upon others. And he said, when you do that, it will either be a shadow or a light. And he uses the terminology that your light will either be as illuminating as heaven or as shadowy as hell. And again, as future leaders, thinking about that, of the kind of light that you will cast on others. And what I have learned over the years of being in, in uh, management, I've run programs most of my uh, adult life, is four simple things that I think help us shed a light around us no matter what it is that we're doing. And I think that a lot of these four traits come from our Anabaptist tradition and indeed position us to be ideal public servants. And I would encourage uh, a lot of you to look at getting into the public service uh, sector. I think there's an important role that we as Christians can, can play. So the four basics then of shining a light, and, and they're all about building trust. It's as simple as that. And my opinion is that when you're a leader, if people trust you, then that is an environment of, of, of light. And to help you know, put it in a context, the other thing to think about is when you were in elementary school or junior high school, I have a feeling that each of you probably had the opportunity to spend a year with a teacher where you felt that room was a, a room of light, but you also probably had the opportunity with the teacher that it was as shadowy as hell. A lot of us have had those experiences growing up. The four traits then that I want to just say a, a, a little bit about before closing. The first one is what you all are working on here right now, and that's competencies. That every leader needs to be competent, and you need strong competencies for folks to have trust in you 
as, as, as a leader. And that's probably one of the most important parts of that four-legged stool is those competencies. But the thing I want to point out is the value of the liberal arts education you're getting is that in all likelihood, you don't know today what the competency is that you're going to need in the future. And oftentimes, it will surprise you. The competencies that I developed at Goshen, some would say I developed none, um, were not what I thought would benefit me. Public speaking has benefited me greatly. I, I talk two, three times a week as, as a part of my job. So that competency that I had no idea at that time how I would use it came to be one of the most valuable ones. So again, the developing of, of competencies. The second thing is that the people whom you are leading need to know you understand what the truth is. And when you talk, they always know it's the truth. And this is more than about not telling little white lies or not telling lies, but rather it's speaking the truth to people about situations. So the first time around when, when we did cuts, I did some huge layoffs, very painful layoffs. I had to lay off 300 of my staff um, in, in a very short period of time. And I have four unions that, that work for me. I have about 4,000 staff. And the governor was announcing the cuts at 10 in the morning. And I told his office, and none of us were supposed to say anything before the governor announced. When you're in public life, it's a very disciplined system, and you've, you follow the discipline. So none of us were to say anything. And I called the governor's office and said, look, I have, a, I have a relationship with our union, our large union. I need to call them before the governor announces and tell them what I'm doing. They need to know the truth. And so I got permission 10 minutes before the governor announced to call our union, explain to them what I was doing and, and the rationale behind it. So telling the truth is, is an important one of the characteristics. The second is that folks understand that the leader is just or fair, however you want to say that. And one of the important things that I learned, and, and I started learning it on SST, and that is the ripple effect. And if you study chaos theory, you'll, in management classes here, if they, if they study chaos theory, you'll learn about the butterfly effect. Um, I call it the ripple effect. But it's when you make a decision, recognizing the impact of that decision. And I know on SST, I learned how the, 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 the trickle effect of US foreign policy on, on, on very poor people in Honduras. And a lot of you are gonna learn that as well. That trickle effect, people make decisions in Washington that affect farmers in Mexico. Um, and that's part of justice, is recognizing when you make a decision, the ripple down effect. And some of you in the classroom will be given grades to a student and you'll give a D to one student who didn't care, who didn't study, like me, parents don't care, that's one effect. You give a D to another student who worked their tail off and they did the absolute best they could and all they got was a D and when they take that home, they're gonna get a beating because their parent wants them to get A. The ripple effect of those two decisions that you as a leader can make, you need to understand and know those ripple effects so that you could administer justice. When we were doing our cuts, we knew that when we had the first cut, 
that there would be more coming because the economy was just spinning out of control and we knew what the impact of that was. And we decided we would take the entire first cut ourselves and we would reduce our administrative overhead by 20%. Now that meant laying off a lot of people. And we would also reduce other parts of our staff. And that was important to us. And we said to the community, look, we haven't cut funding to, to providers. We haven't cut funding to families. We haven't cut funding to county boards. We took it all ourselves first. We took it all in administration so that when the second cuts came, we could then say, we did it first. We set the example. If you folks cut your administrative cost by 20%, you will not hurt services to families and individuals with disabilities as well. So an example of trying to administer uh, justice. The um, last one, then, is the flip side of self-confidence. And it is a very short walk between self-confidence and arrogance, and it's a very dangerous walk. And to counterbalance arrogance, the fourth part of it is accountability. You need an accountability system. And I'm somebody who believes that accountability has to be a lifestyle. It's not, it's not going to be put on you by others. It has to be a lifestyle and a choice. And what I have learned is very important is when you're making a decision, you should never make a decision in isolation. I always say a decision made in isolation is an act of arrogance. And I would really encourage you to put together systems of accountability, whether you're a teacher, doctor, nurse, or whatever, so that as you're making decisions, you're bouncing those decisions off, off others. As, again, I hate to keep focusing on these cuts, but that's been my life. Um, as, as we made these, okay, I got the, I need to wrap up. Timing is perfect. This is the last. As, as, as we made these, what was important to me was to get out to the field and find out what was the impact of our decision on families and individuals with disabilities. And so despite being encouraged not to do it, I went around the state holding listening sessions, meeting with over 700 folks saying, you know, how has what we have done impacted you? And if we have to do more, what would you suggest we do? And again, it was that uh, accountability thing. Well, I hope that's helpful. I was trying to think what may be helpful, and I thought I would talk a little bit about leadership, uh, light versus shadow. Think about that as you're going out in, 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 in the world, and uh, think about those four characteristics of, of moving forward. And uh, in conclusion, two things then, one of which is that some of you out there probably don't have very good grades and you're not doing very well and your parents are disappointed and you're thinking about dropping out. Just remember, in 35 years, you too could be the culture of service uh, <laughs> recipient. And just lastly, I want to thank Karen Ruth for uh, having the courage to uh, nominate a dropout for this. I want to especially uh, thank my wife, Sue, who has sacrificed uh, immensely for our children and me, uh, her life over the last uh, quite a few years. My mother, my parents are here for teaching me to work hard and, uh, and to be honest. And my son, Seth, who has tolerated more of my mistakes than one could imagine. So thank you for having me talk. Thank you, John. Let's respond to John's message 
by turning in the blue hymnal to number 226, You Are Salt for the Earth. We'll sing verses 1 through 3. 1, 2, and 3, number 226. Let's stand. the song for the earth. I invite you to continue responding to John's um, message as we pray together. And please join me, the word should be on the PowerPoint, in saying, Lord, let us be salt and light to all who surround us. And I'll indicate that. Let's pray together. Listening, God, you hear our prayers before we speak, yet you welcome our praying. Therefore, we come into your presence with confidence. As we begin homecoming weekend, we recognize that we are each in different phases of life. Students, alumni, faculty, staff. Each role that we have offers its own opportunities. Each one poses its own set of challenges. In each phase of our lives, Lord, let us be salt and light to all who surround us. We pray for the relationships that we have with others. Give us spirits that are sensitive and loving, hearts that are compassionate and understanding. Lord, let us be salt and light to all who surround us. We pray for the variety of work and study that each of us engages in. Give our minds strength and diligence for the tasks that we have to do. Lord, let us be salt and light to all who surround us. And we pray for our world, for the earth that sustains us. Give us a sense of your presence and purpose as we learn to be better caretakers, better stewards of what you have entrusted to us. Lord, let us be salt and light to all who surround us. You hear the prayers of your people, O God. 
we rest in the comfort of your care. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A reminder, you all are very welcome to attend the reception in the gathering rooms over to my left. Go with the grace of God this weekend and have a good weekend.